Well, again, uh, welcome to part two of Fresh Start. And if, by the way, you missed part one, which where we kind of laid the foundation, um, all of our, our sermons can be found um, online and be uh, happy or invite you to uh, listen there and to catch up. So last week, um, like I said, we kind of laid the foundation. And because I know that you don't remember everything I say, I sometimes will say, if you forget everything I say, which I hope that doesn't happen either, um, if there's just one thing to remember, here it is. And, and that's what we looked at last week. I had one of those, and it was this. If one thing you could remember from last week was this, that a fresh start is possible for you. A, a start where the past is no longer an anchor, the frustration, the disappointment, the heartbreak, the guilt, that a fresh start is possible for you. And the reason why I felt it's so important to tell you that is because some of you have been trying to unhitch the anchor of the past for a really long time, maybe even decades, and you have gotten to seasons of your life where you're just not sure that you can ever get rid of the anchor. Hey, if it could happen for Peter last week, it can happen for you. God is bigger than our past, and His grace is bigger than our sin, and we can get past the past with His help. A fresh start is possible for you. So, there's a bunch of people here today that no longer are carrying an anchor around. Like, the past is in the past, and, and I've moved on from le- because of the sermon last week. Uh, probably not, Right? You see, here's the thing, and and I think you just need to know this so that it helps knowing where you stand with God, okay? That sometimes God can work miracles, or He always can, and sometimes He does. And in, in, in just a moment's time, at a snap of a finger, or overnight, a person could be filled with lots of guilt, disappointment, frustration, anger about the past, And overnight, it could be all taken away, never to have it again. God is that big. But the truth is that most of the time, he doesn't work like that. I wish he did. I wish I pray for something on Monday, and on Tuesday, it's all taken care of. That would be nice, but that's not how God normally works. God normally works in us and in our lives. The life of Christian living and of Christian attitude is, is one usually more of a process than a moment, of a journey than a point, specific point in time. And that's really important for us to remember. The, the fact that you haven't been able to move past the past may not mean that you're not a Christian or you don't love the Lord or you're a lesser Christian with lesser faith than someone else, okay? Now, sometimes there can be faith issues related to it, let's be frank, but it doesn't mean if it's hard to move past the past that you're you're not a Christian. (laughs) It means that you struggle. And here's the thing. In the struggle... We find more strength often than when or if God just changed things in a moment. In the struggle, we are forced to turn back to God, not just in one prayer, but in daily prayer or hourly prayer or whatever. And God often strengthens us more through the journey than if he would just come down and do a miracle. 
So our first fill-in for today is just recognizing that, that moving past the past may be a journey, not a moment, may be a process, not a series. <laughs> and so there's the importance of us maybe unpacking moving past the past to help you in the process and in the journey. And so starting today and the next two weeks after today, we're going to look at just some very specific application from Scripture of of things we should think or things we can do to help us in the process of moving past the past. So to get us started in this first week of the specific application, um, I have a question for you. How many of you saw this person perform a song on New Year's Eve this year? Anybody? Raise your hand if you saw her either live or after the fact. So not, most of our congregation was sleeping at midnight on New Year's Eve because no one hardly's raised their hand or they're embarrassed. But on the, the well-titled show, Dick Clark's New Year Celebration with Ryan Seacrest, which is the longest title to a show ever invented, right before the ball dropped, about five minutes before midnight, Mariah Carey comes on in New York City to sort of, you know, cap the night and get everyone excited as she sings the ancient hit Emotions, okay? So she comes out, and right away you can tell that something's going on, and it wasn't just her outfit, but that too, something was wrong with that too. Anyway, um, (laughs) And, and you can tell because she's muttering under her breath, I can't hear anything. I can't hear anything. And for the next five minutes, it was probably the most, I would say, um, restless TV I've watched since the presidential debates, probably, of just feeling uncomfortable. As At some points, she's dancing. At some points, she's singing. At some points, she's lip-syncing, which I think was the plan the entire time. At some times, she's glaring. But for five minutes, it's just a disaster. But you know what was even more of a disaster? Is what happened afterwards. For the next week, and it's probably still continuing on to now, every single entity that had anything to do with the performance, not one of them accepted any of the blame. Like it was everyone else's fault. And so the New York City people who put the sound and audio together, they did not accept any of the fault. Um, Mariah Carey's people didn't accept any of the fault. Mariah Carey didn't accept any of the fault. At least she could have carried the fault of singing emotions 30 years after it was popular or something, or trying to, I don't know. Um, But no one would accept any of the blame. She's a diva. (laughs) Guys, I've got some diva in me. I didn't imagine you guys laughing when I said that. Man, you guys also have some diva in you. We all have this thing in us that shirks away from accepting responsibility for things or blame for things because either A, it wasn't all our fault, or B, we feel in our hearts it was none of our fault. It wasn't my fault. She's the one that left. It wasn't my fault. He's the one with the drinking problem. It wasn't my fault. They're the ones who started it. 
It's not my fault because everyone at work can't stand that guy. It's not my fault because no one at school listens or respects that teacher. It's not my fault what happened to our finances because who was to know that, uh, you know, home values would go down. It's not my fault when it comes to the um, economy. I can't control those things. And, And here's the thing, guys. When we are unable to see, even if it's not the whole thing, but just a little bit, our part of it, it's really, really dangerous. And that, in fact, it makes it almost impossible to move past the past in a healthy, well-balanced way. And so today, in this first week of application to, to help you on your journey, I want to, first of all, share with you through Scripture why it's dangerous to play the blame game, and then one specific application that's going to be easier for me to tell you to do than it is to actually accomplish it. And I also think there needs to be just a little bit of a caveat to today's message because there's a, when you hear the, the phrase, move past the past, there's, there's a lot of different situations. We talked about that last week. Specifically this week is situations where because um, you're having difficulty with forgiveness, Specifically those types of things where you're having difficulty with forgiveness, either of God or of, of, um, of others. And the other caveat is this, that this is for adults, okay? If, if something happened to you and you were five years old, this, this doesn't apply. This is for when you're old enough to make decisions and to be in a situation um, where you are a responsible adult in the situation. So those are the caveats to the content of today's message. We're going to go back to a time in the world history where there's only two people who lived, Adam and Eve. And when God created them in the world, everything was great. Everything was perfect. There was no need to move past the past because the past was great. (laughs) The relationship of marriage was perfect. The relationship with God was perfect. Everything was perfect. And God gave one rule. And some of you have always had a hard time with this. Why did God give a rule? Like, did he set up mankind or humanity to fail? The rule was, don't eat from this one tree in the middle of the garden. Now, why did God give that rule? It wasn't because God wanted to set the world up to fail. The reason was, is God wanted to provide his people an opportunity to show their love for him. It was an opportunity for them to worship him and to acknowledge I am the creation, you are the creator, and by following his one rule, don't eat from the tree, they were given this wonderful opportunity to show their love to him. So that's the why, okay? Now, it didn't take very long, and as many of you know, the devil tempted them, and they ate from the fruit, and everything changed. Perfection changed, the world changed, Um, even in some ways, eternity changed a little bit. And our section for today is when the aftermath of that first sin is still fresh and what happens after it. Genesis chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. Then the man and his wife, they heard the sound of the Lord God as he was in the garden or walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Let me stop there for a moment and just acknowledge this. 
what they did in their, their, their failure, their personal failure of hiding from it is still the temptation we have today. By nature, we hide from the things that we've done wrong oftentimes. I mean, not all the time, but oftentimes that's our temptation. Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now, this isn't a God whom, you know, doesn't know where people are and he had, hey, where are you guys? I can't find you. He knew where they were, (laughs) but through some line of questioning, he was helping Adam and Eve come to some conclusions. And so he yells out, where are you? Now, the the, the cool thing here, and we're going to come back to this at the end, they run and hide. What does God do? Uh, leave them be if they want. Nah. We have a God who pursues. Even those who want to hide. He's not done with them. And he's not pursuing them just to punish them. There's going to be some of that. But there's something greater than just the punishment. Verse 10. We're going to come back to that. He answered, Adam did, or um, Uh, God did. I heard you in the, oh, Adam did. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So there's this whole shame thing going on. Shame of nakedness, shame of sin, verse 11. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And again, God knows what's happened here. It's just that he's giving Adam an opportunity to digest it. Verse 12, the man said, yes, I did. I really, really screwed up, and I'm sorry. Please, if anything, be kind to my wife. It was my fault, not hers, and I take full responsibility for what happened. Now, for those of you who are laughing or at least smirking because you're not sure it's okay to laugh in church, except when you're laughing at me being a diva, um, you know that this isn't the way it went. This is how it should have gone. Things would have been better for Adam if this was his response. But instead, here's what really happened. (laughs) The man said, the woman. (laughs) The woman you put here with me, she's the blame. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And is this true? It absolutely is true. See, sometimes in our blame game, it's not necessarily that we're saying something that's not totally true. We're just not coming to grips with the entire picture. (laughs) This was true. But he took the part of the truth that he wanted to make him feel better and to look better. It's the same thing we do. Revisionary history. I know I do it. Whenever I'm in a discussion with Carrie, (laughs) I, by nature, want to win, right? Make myself, as best as I can, promote the best part of what I was thinking, the best part of what I was doing in the situation. That's, That's what Adam was doing. Now, I'm not sure where the doghouse was invented, but I'm pretty sure it started here, okay? (laughs) Because Adam's presented with an opportunity to just tell what really happened, 
and Adam, Adam, Adam. I mean, if, if I was a pastor back then, I would have had some counseling with him and, you know, never blame your wife, never, especially in front of God. I just imagine the, the conversation on the way home that day is like, I cannot believe you. I married you. I mean, you threw me under the bus right in front of God. I cannot believe this. You're supposed to be the leader of the family. I mean, that's what you tell me all the time. And look what you did. And I, oh man, he didn't sleep in the bedroom for like weeks, I'm sure. Okay. Point being in my way of sort of teasing this out a little bit is where did blame get him with his wife? Doghouse, yeah. Nowhere good. Nowhere good. And there was someone else he blamed. I mean, Adam was just, <laughs> just, you know, throwing stones everywhere. The woman, you, God. Like, it was the woman's fault, but it was kind of your fault too, God. And I, I mean, I was lonely and all, but I was doing okay before Eve came. And this whole thing wouldn't have happened if you didn't give me this wife could have given me a better wife. And so why don't, here, I got an idea. How about you and Eve talk about it and get back to me when you've got it all figured out, okay? And what's happened with the blame towards God here, that now Adam's relationship with God isn't as healthy as it could have been, all because he didn't take ownership of that which he should have. Verse 13, Eve's response isn't much better. She continues throwing stones. Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, well, it really was the serpent. It was the devil. The serpent deceived me and I ate. I hope I've shown you at least in this instance, and then I'm going to apply it to our lives, that for Adam and Eve, Our next fill-in is true. Blame makes it impossible to truly move past the past. The reason being is they both had revisionary history and neither were willing to accept their slice of the situation. And how was that working out for Adam? Not very well. He had problems with his wife. He was having a relationship problem with God. And he was unable to move forward in a healthy way because he wasn't able to see where his issues were because it wasn't his issue in his mind. Now, we all would like to think that it's only Adam and Eve that do these things. I've, I've already confessed that I tend to sort of be tempted into making the story the way that makes me out to be the hero or the right one or the good one, and maybe you have some of that in you too. I know that we, whether it be at Bethlehem or in the world, struggle with blame, and here's why. Because I've been doing marriage counseling for 13 years, okay? And, and let me tell you, never once in, in 13 years have I ever sat down with someone, and it's always a privilege to be asked to to listen in on and and pray that I can share God's word. But just for a moment of clarity, never once has it been where someone sat down in front of me and for an hour talked about all the reasons that they were wrong in the relationship, and then after about an hour, I'd have to stop them and say, okay, 
You've taken a lot of ownership of this. Isn't there something you could blame your spouse for? Like, I've, I've never, ever had that situation. <laughs> but I have had it more than once in almost every situation where one of the two come in fired up about all the things that the other person has done. And quite frankly, they're not lying. He or she has done those things. But I've had to stop after I've listened and say, okay, that's hurtful. Okay, I get it. It's tough. God is going to give you strength through this. But I, I do need to ask this question. Is there any part of it that you can own? I mean, where have you not been the perfect spouse? We can't change him. He needs to with God's help. We can't change her. She needs to. But, but where are the things, what are the things that I need to do? What are the things that, that you need to do? And so here's that encouragement for you that I told you that is going to be easier for me to tell you to do and harder to do it, but it is worth the try. It's, in fact, part of daily living as a follower of Christ. Number three, fill in. Oh, you know what? I'll come back to that. Go to, that, go to number three, Lindsay, if you could. Well, we'll just, yeah, own your piece of the past so that it doesn't own you. Own your piece of the past so that it doesn't own you. So at the, the heart of blame is pride. It's, it's really the root cause, is, is pride. And, and I uh, defined pride this way this week, an unhealthy confidence that makes it difficult to receive correction or to see our faults or sin. It's okay to be confident. This is an unhealthy confidence. And maybe the best way to understand what pride does and why it makes it hard, or at least a way, is um, I brought in an object here. Um, so since airlines have been trying to cut costs, the, uh, the amount of uh, luggage you can take has greatly decreased, at least the amount that you can take for free. And so many of us are, are trying to take a piece of luggage this large or probably smaller and to get a week's worth out of it, and it, it, it can be difficult. And I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but you, you fill your suitcase with, with all of your shirts and with all of your stuff, and, and the thing you forgot about um, are the shoes, Okay. And they take up a lot of space, and it's hard to stuff it all in there. It's hard to, to stuff it in there when there's no room. And, and so you either need to not take your shoes, or you need to take stuff out, or you just sit on it and then try to zip it, and zipper breaks. But there's no room for shoes when it's all stuffed with clothes. Here's the problem with pride. There's no room for others when we're all stuffed with ourselves. And pride can become a prison that doesn't allow others in and keeps you in. Doesn't let you out. So the problem with pride, first of all, we see this in Abraham, in, Abraham, in Adam, started with an A. There's no room for healthy relationships with others when we're stuffed with pride. If you can't say, I messed up, you will not have a healthy relationship. 
if we can't own our peace, even if it's small one, and by the way, everyone you ask, their peace is smaller than the other person's, okay? So just put that out there. But um, if you can't own that, it's going to be like Adam, very hard to have a healthy relationship with others because we're not being authentic. We're not being transparent. We're holding back in some ways, the truth. Number two, the problem with pride is that there's no room for correction. If I've got it all together, then who are you to tell me to change anything? I don't need to change anything. And so the only thing that happens as you try to move past the past is we bring our baggage with us because everywhere I go, there I am. (laughs) We're all works in progress. And so with pride, there's no room for correction. And finally, there's no room for a healthy relationship with God. I mean, if I don't have anything to forgive, then why do I need God? (laughs) If I've got it all together, I've become my God. Humility is the, I would say, the opposite of pride. And the antidote is Christ and his humility. And I I get it. This is really hard. And I suppose there's a chance that one of you could come and share your story with me, and there's a chance that there is nothing that you need to own in that. Probably not, though. And to get your wheels turning a little bit, because I'm going to ask you to consider this this week, I, I have some examples just to get you, you thinking about maybe the second layer of some situations. So maybe the way she acted wasn't my fault, but I need to own the fact that I've gone into this with a bad attitude and made it almost impossible for her to act the way I would have liked her to. How about this? Maybe management kept overlooking me, but I have to admit that I wasn't always giving it my best. Yeah, it seemed like I deserved it more, but I'm going to own the part that at times I came in and I didn't give it my best. Maybe what they did to me wasn't nice, but I'll own the fact that I didn't react as well as I could have. I mean, they need to own... What they did to me, I mean, that hurt. But I think part of what's happened in making this bigger than it needs to be is that I didn't react in the best way either. Adam, maybe the woman offered me a piece of fruit to eat, but I will own the fact that I could have said no. (laughs) I, I didn't have to take it. How about this? This is a God one. Maybe life hasn't gone the way I would have hoped. But I need to own the fact that sometimes I put expectations of happiness on God that are things that he has never promised to give me. And I need to own that. I have expectations that he hasn't necessarily promised. And even if there seems to be nothing to own, you know, I said there could be those things. What if even it's just, again, the way that we have acted since it happened? Could we start to own that? And when we do, and maybe even when we apologize for our peace, all of a sudden, not only does our temperature begin to lower, but through humility, almost all the time, their temperature begins to lower too. 
And so owning your piece of the past so that it doesn't own you. Now, here's, here's the amazing thing from the Genesis account, and then we're done. Um, when God pursued Adam and Eve, we would think, because we're sinful human beings who do this, that God's primary reason for pursuit was to give them what was coming to them. And they had something coming to them. The world was forever changed, and, and death now came into play and all of that. But the primary reason he pursued them was not to give them discipline. He could have done that from afar. He pursued them to give them love. And many of you know this. Even before he gave them the consequences to their sin, <laughs> he gave them Chapter 3, verse 15, the promise of a Savior. So what would have happened if Adam just would have hid from God like you could, but let's hypothetically say that he could, and never allowed the conversation? He would have never known that there was peace over his peace. We have a God of second chances a God of blank slates and fresh starts, a God who sent Jesus and promised him, even in the midst of a really ugly situation between Adam and Eve and God. Our last fill-in is this, that with Jesus, you can have peace over your peace of the past. See, that's why Jesus came to give us peace between us and him through his death and resurrection. And in part, when we're at peace with him, it's easier to have peace with others. When we're honest, it's easier to be at peace. And I I know this is complicated. I know it's hard. And believe me, you're not going to figure it out in a week. But it is worth our time to consider in those areas where we're having a really difficult time with someone from the past is to think about this question this week. Have I owned my peace? Or maybe it's a relationship with God, I don't know. But have I owned my peace? I've been really good at ignoring my peace or at least not making it as important, but have I owned my peace, an action, an attitude, a reaction? And then, my friends, rejoice. You have a God who pursues you. And through this and through him, you will be able to have that peace, that knowledge of a peaceful relationship with your Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for your love that pursues sinners with messes like me. Lord, uh, I acknowledge I don't always... uh, want to face uh, my blame in situations, and so instead I, I blame others. And maybe others in the room can relate to that too. We'd ask that you would help us this week through your Spirit to, to sort of apply wisdom, uh, your wisdom, to those situations that may be bothering us, and that through your grace, love, and forgiveness, that we may truly be able to move past the past. 